My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Are we back in bad news is good news land? Or has the market come unglued from reality? And that's the big question after a day where we got a really ugly employment report. This brings number. Non-farm payrolls down 140,000 in December. Most economists were expecting an increase. Yet there was green all over the place. Dow ultimately edged up 57 points. S&P advanced 0.55%. And the Nasdaq gained an amazing 1.03%. Maybe the market saw this week this coming. How can we have job growth when COVID's running wild, causing a half a million layoffs in the leisure and hospitality sector alone? Unfortunately, we're doing such a poor job distributing the vaccines that you can't expect a rebound anytime soon. Which brings me back to the bad news is good news thesis. Every disappointing jobs number like this one makes it more likely we'll get another round of government stimulus checks to help cushion the blow. Still, let's not lose sight of the key takeaway. While this economy has some pockets of strength, things like home building, a host of commodities keep going higher. We've also got mass unemployment thanks to an increasingly deadly pandemic. That means the Federal Reserve needs to keep interest rates low to help spur hiring. When you combine the slower economy with a dovish Fed, you get a situation where stocks, yes, I know this term is is kind of old hat to you now, but they're the only game in town versus bonds, most certainly. And that means you'll get some prolonged moves higher, like the incredible run in Tesla, which vaulted another 8% today to yet another new high, as one analyst after another concedes that the company's doing better than expected. And as the S&P 500 index funds are forced to buy the darn thing at ever higher prices, thanks to its inclusion in the index. Tesla keeps chugging higher. Plus, the seemingly unstoppable stock serves as an umbrella covering the whole electric vehicle cohort, and it seems like one of those stocks created every day. I can't blame anyone for trying to find the next Tesla here, although I'd rather stick with the original Tesla. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, unless, of course, the bird in the bush is a legitimate hydrogen fuel cell play like plug power. More on that later. Now, when the economy's downshifting, the hedge fund playbook says you need to buy the secular growth stocks that can hit their numbers even in a slowdown. I keep hearing hedge fund managers say it's time to dump growth and swap into value because the economy's accelerating. But I don't see that. I think they're wrong. If there's a growth stock that's doing well in an environment where we could be on the verge of a national light lockdown, for heaven's sake, I want to know about it because it's probably worth buying. Which brings me to the game plan for next week. We're doing a deep dive into the most important brokerage conference of the month. That's the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Confab. We went out there personally last year, obviously not this year because of the pandemic. We're going to have Lisa Gill. She's the host on our show tonight. You're going to hear about a lot of great growth stories that don't need a strong economy. That's what I like. Now, on Monday, I want to know what Bristol Myers has to say about the new drug pipeline they picked up when they acquired myocardia. A lot of people think they spent too, money on that, too much money on that. I don't know. I think it might be good. And then we hear from J&J, Moderna, and Regeneron. Will J&J's vaccine be ready sooner than expected? Can Moderna speed up manufacture of their already approved vaccine? Why aren't doctors prescribing Regeneron's COVID therapy, the one that saved the president? 
I hope we'll find out. The J.P. Morgan Conference is the place where drug and biotech companies make very big announcements. If J&J has got some good news on the vaccine front, we're going to hear about it there. We may also get some insight from Emergent Biosystems, a contract manufacturer we've had on the show with a lot of vaccine exposure. We know they have business with J&J. You know what I would love to hear, but it may be too good to be true, that maybe they're sitting on a billion doses and we're just waiting on the thumbs up from the FDA. But who knows? Then there's the other huge conference next week. This is CES. That's the tech expo formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show. I'm most interested in a keynote from AMD, which is presenting on Tuesday morning, and Microsoft on Wednesday morning. What do I want to hear? With AMD, we want to hear about their PC and gaming business. Maybe they'll give us a little insight to the Xilinx acquisition if it gets to close. Microsoft, we actually want to know about everything. You know, I like both of them a great deal. Next up, KB Holmes reports on Tuesday. And I've got to tell you, the homebuilders are a major pocket of strength in this economy because they're propped up by low interest rates and people fleeing the cities for the suburbs or the country because of the pandemic. KB Home is big in the parts of California that people are moving to. Let's see what they have to say. And then it's back to the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, this time to hear Pfizer and CVS talk about many things, including, of course, the vaccine. I wouldn't be surprised if Pfizer tells us they can roll out even more doses than expected. And CVS says it's ready to administer them in all 10,000 stores as soon as the government gets its act together. Avi's presenting, too. We need to know if they're protected uh, from the loss of exclusivity, uh, which is now only two years from now, uh, of Umira, which is their largest drug. Uh, I think that they are. But let's see what people say. On Wednesday, Walgreens speaks. They're going to give us a more complete picture on vaccine distribution. We also want to hear what Danaher has to say about its biopharma equipment division. Danaher is an incredible long-term performer, and now they've got a chance to tell us about this terrific biopharma asset that they got from General Electric. Thursday, President Biden, President-elect Biden, excuse me, will trace out his stimulus plans. Now, that's going to be a major market mover for certain, given how stocks keep bouncing around based on hints about the size of the stimulus. Biden wants to avoid a double-dip recession. And today he said that means throwing money at the economy until we beat the pandemic and things get back on track. Also on Thursday, we hear from the most important semiconductor company out there that we don't talk about, Taiwan Semi. Do you know this is a $500 billion wafer maker that's indispensable to the entire industry. Taiwan Semi says things are still going strong. That can move the entire group. We need to know how the airlines are doing, given that they're arguably the weakest link in the economy. Delta always shoots straight. They're going to give us a status report when they announce their earnings. I know there's a constant thirst for more info about the cannabis industry among you. We hear from Afria on Thursday, too. Remember, Erwin Simon used to be at Hain. Well, he runs that show, and I think he's going to tell a profitable story. I expect him to be very rosy about the industry's prospects now that the more weed-friendly Democrats have taken the Senate. Finally, earnings season officially kicks off on Friday with the major banks, and that's going to be J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. These are stocks that are coming off some incredible runs. Will those moves be backed up by good numbers? You know what? I don't really think so. But if the economy is about to improve like so many of the bulls think uh, and the vaccines are coming and Washington will pass more stimulus, then these banks could represent decent investments for the next few quarters, provided interest rates rise. The bottom line, with a new president taking office in less than two weeks, we may be more interested in what Biden says than in any individual company. Rest assured, though, when earnings season begins in earnest, it'll be profits we want to know about not politics. I want to go to Tom in New York, please. Tom. Jim, how are you tonight? I am doing very well. How about you, Tom? Doing great. 
Listen, I have a question. What market forces cause a stock like Viva Systems to have a really good reaction to their um, earnings report? And then the next week or three, four weeks, they're going up and down sideways, down 7, 8, 9%. What's happening there? All right. Well, this is a really great question. I'm glad you asked it. Of course, we had Peter Gaster on this great quarter. What's happening is, is that people think that they're going to blow the quarter. There are a lot of shorts in there. Uh, because at times uh, for trade, they say, well, you know what? The stock's moved up. It can't continue this 100 times earnings, which is what it sells for a wrap. And then it doesn't blow up. It does a good job. So they cover. That causes a temporary spike. And then it kind of uh, and then what it really does is kind of flit around. I call it uh, flopping and chopping until the next quarter. That's the way Viva trades. I've been following it for a long time. Let's go to David, my old home state of Pennsylvania. David. Booyah, Jim. Go birds. Go. Where are they going? Hopefully to the Super Bowl. I'm sure you, next year. I'm sure you've heard of this back merger, IPOC to Clover Health, CLOV. It made its mark on the Fintwit world. Shout out to the Sapphire and Atlas fam. And it just performed its change today while getting a $20 price target from Bank of America. Has partnerships with Walmart and is the only Medicare stock not in the hundreds or even above 50 yet. With a market cap of $1.5 billion, we should be at least in the 30s. I got to know, are you bullish or bearish? You know, I, I was I was bullish about it. Everybody, these things are so hard to follow. But, you know, it did have that very big spike in December. But you're absolutely right. I think it is very, very good. And uh, but let, why don't you let it season here? Because you know what happens is they go up big and then they work their way down to a level that's a little more reasonable. And I don't think we're there yet, but we could be very, very close. And we know that the chairman and CEO is a much loved figure on CNBC. Josh in New York. Josh. Hey, Jimbo, we're so happy to have you back this week. Hope well, you had a good holiday. Yeah, yeah, I had to spend some time with the family. It's been a long time, and, you know, it's getting a little stir-crazy, too. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, I feel you. All right, so I'm calling about a healthcare company you've had uh, on the show several times, and the stock has been down. Uh, back in September, they did a voluntary recall on the asthma medication. And then in November, they reported decent earnings, but had a tax ruling in Ireland. Now they just caught a, a downgraded RBC. Jim, what do I do with Perigo? Oh, man, the Perigo speaking next week at the J.P. Morgan conference. You know what? Uh, I would like to say that Mr. Kessler, I thought he told a good story when he was on and sells it like 10 times next year's earnings. But at the same time, if they're about to speak, why don't we listen to what they have to say? And that's a much more considered judgment than just saying, here's what I think they may say. Thank you for the calls up. Uh, look, uh, the President-elect Biden will be the real focus next week when he comes up and tells you about a stimulus package. Uh, but profits are going to be starting to be the major part of the discussion on Friday. Well, man, buddy, tonight, I've got the earnings exclusive with the CEO of Micron. Then the IPO lockups come, come, and I've got to tell you, one of them is in the TV business. So, well, I didn't want to mention it. Uh, and it's going to be a deluge. And the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference is going virtual this year, but with more people than ever focused on the healthcare space, I mean, we got to get an early look, as I just mentioned, about the Perigo caller uh, and see what they have to say. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
All right. What in the world just happened to the stock of uh, Micron? The Kramer fave commodity semiconductor company, they make DRAMs and flash memory chips, has been a fabulous performer, and we have liked it since the 30s. It's a stock that's more than doubled from the March lows. But maybe, I don't know, could have gotten ahead of itself. Last night, Micron reported a blowout quarter. I love the conference call. Just a magnificent top and bottom line beat. Phenomenal guidance for the current quarter. What happens? Well, the stock opened up 4% this morning, briefly hitting a new 20-year high. Uh, and then a sudden reversal occurred, ultimately finishing this session in the red. So what's the story here? Was it a hidden problem with the company? No way. Micron stock just came in a little too hot. In the last, two, in the last couple of months leading up to this quarter, you know that this stock went from 55 to 79? After that kind of move, well, you know what? People like to ring the register. I think it's got more upside, but don't take it from me. Let's go to Sanjay Marotra. He's the president and CEO of Micron. To learn more about this magnificent quarter and where the company's headed. Sanjay, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Good to be back on your show. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Okay, I've gone over this conference call maybe five times, and I'm going to step back for a second and give you my view. You tell me if I'm wrong. The Micron that we all know, which is some sort of commodity play, has morphed into one of the great secular growing companies, both software and hardware, basically because of the the brain inside your chips. And the story is different. We have a growth story that's going to transcend the economy. Absolutely right, Jim. We are really excited about the market opportunities that we are addressing. If you look at the acceleration of digital transformation, it's all fueled by AI, 5G, cloud, and the intelligent edge. And micron memory and storage is critical for these applications. And for the first time in the history of the company, Micron is leading the industry in DRAM technology as well as the NAND technology. And we have been extremely focused on strengthening our product leadership in the market space as well. So we are absolutely excited about 2021. And post-COVID, the synchronized expansion of the global economies is going to continue well into 2022 timeframe as well. So I believe we are really positioned for an exciting time in terms of growth opportunities ahead, particularly when you look at the industry in terms of supply is having tightness in various parts of the DLAM market. Now, I, I'm glad you brought that up because today Ford came out and said that they're going to be hurt a little bit by tight, uh, tightness. There's another auto company in Japan said that. But you made clear, you said, despite shortages of non-memory components in PC, mobile, auto, and graphic, that's not you that's causing the problems at Ford and these other autos, right? That is right. I mean, we do have certain shortages that are building up for memory itself because the demand for memory DRAM memory is very strong. But Micron, of course, with its advancement of technologies, we are the leaders with one alpha technology that will be ramping up into production in the fiscal first half of our uh, uh, 2020, uh, 2021 uh, year. Um, so we definitely, with respect to our own supply, we are addressing it. But yes, uh, there is tightness building up in the end markets with respect to certain non uh, memory components, we are well positioned to address our market needs. Okay, now last time you were on, you came here and you said that there was going to be a major multi-year move and it, things were troughing and you and I discussed on air the idea that you cannot wait until it has troughed if you want to buy the stock. You also talked about buying an immense amount of stock, which you were doing. You still want to. You said that on the call, but hasn't the stock gotten too high to buy? Jim, we look at opportunities ahead and we are still 
in the early innings of memory and storage. You know, if you look at memory and storage, it is growing faster than the rest of the semiconductor industry. In year 2000, memory and storage represented 10% of the semiconductor industry. It is right now approaching 30%. In the next decade, it will be the fastest growing part of the semiconductor industry. So this is exciting opportunity ahead. Micron is transforming itself as well as a technology and product leader. So we believe that there is tremendous opportunity for Micron in terms of growing our earnings power in the future, in terms of strengthening our product leadership. So if you look at when we announced our stock buyback program in fiscal year 2019, since then we have generated about 4.6 billion of free cash flow and we have invested 4.8 billion in stock buyback and redemption of converts. So we are remain committed on an ongoing basis in the future as well, because we do think that our stock is a good value. And in the future, at least 50% of our annual free cash flow will continue to commit towards stock buyback. All right, well, my last question is, you and I are old hands. We've seen the boom and the bust. We've seen too much capacity come on at the worst time. I think there must be something happening that's different. Some of it is because your intellectual property is the best in class. But some of it is the demand is so great that I don't think it is going to be boom bust. That was not what happened this time. It were the the applications for your chips are so high end and so specialized. We got to get away from calling you commodity. Uh, Jim, you know, one can't just look at one month or one quarter. One has to look at the long-term trajectory. And you're absolutely correct that in terms of the long-term trajectory, the value that memory and storage solutions are delivering in terms of AI, in terms of machine learning, which are requiring more and more processing of data, faster processing of data, power-efficient processing of data, this is where our solutions, which are really built on tremendous amount of intellectual property, highly complex technology, which Micron has more than 40 years expertise, and yes, nearly 44,000 patents that we have generated over the years. So yes, we are absolutely in a sweet spot of the market trends, and we are very well positioned to address them, and we are focused on absolutely creating differentiated solutions, creating value for our customers, and again, the value is becoming an integral part Memory and storage is becoming a key driver in terms of enabling our customers to deliver greater value to their end market customers. Well, look, congratulations on everything you've done and for being right up front saying what was going to happen and being dead right. Sanjay Marotra, president and CEO of Micron. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. What can I say? I liked it at 30. I liked it at 40. I liked it at 50. I liked it at 60. I like it at 70. You know what? I think it's even going to go maybe, yes, to $100. Man, money's back in. Right now, this market seems unstoppable, doesn't it? I mean, a bunch of goons storming the Capitol building couldn't derail it. The proposal for higher taxes seemed to do it. Even today's lousy jobs report barely registered. It just means we'll get more stimulus. Although Senator Manchin from West Virginia temporarily threw cold water on the idea before softening his language. But that did cause the market to take a mid-afternoon hit. However, there is one thing I'm actually very worried about. And that would be if there were a deluge of new stock supply because supply is the nemesis of a bull market. 
Last night, I told you the averages won't stop chugging higher as long as we've got more buyers than sellers. So don't ask why stocks go up or down. Ask why there haven't been more sellers than buyers. One reason, well, we've, we've got kind of a stock shortage between all the people parking their money in index funds. Many stocks have about 50% of their ownership being index funds, uh, and those hardly ever sell. And all the companies retiring shares through massive repurchase programs, well, there just isn't enough stock to go around for all these buyers. But you have to ask yourself, what happens when, not if, but when we get flooded with additional supply? If history is any guide, and it usually is, that's bad news for the market, or at least the subsectors get caught in the flood. Where are these shares coming from? Now, we had a bunch of big IPOs last year, and their lockups on insider selling are starting to expire. Meanwhile, we've had all these startups listing their stocks via reverse mergers with special purpose acquisition companies, and their lockups are coming to an end, too. We've got to start really following this. Now, it already happened a few times in the last couple of weeks. Take Lemonade, the newly public company that's using technology to disrupt the insurance industry, and Fubo. TV, right? This is a lot of people get this. They pronounce this thing wrong. I can't believe it's so easy. The streaming TV that came public in a non-traditional deal a few months ago. In Lemonade's case, the stock pulled back hard, then quickly came roaring back because it is a fabulous story. The darn thing made a new high yesterday, and I am glad we repeatedly recommend it. But Fubo TV is a different story. Here's a stock that started trading at $10 in October before surging to $62. That's right, 10 to 62 uh, right before Christmas. Then the lockup expired. And then the stock went into free fall, plummeting to 27 as of today. That's what I'm trying to get in your head. I don't want you to get hurt in this kind of thing. Meanwhile, Snowflake, the fabulous data warehouse play, that had the third largest IPO of 2020. It recently had their second of three lockups come to an end. Now, this is an incredible business led by the great Frank Slootman, but there's a reason the stock has been hammered over the past month. And, of course, we've got all these special purpose acquisition company deals in the electric vehicle space. These tend to be more complicated than post-IPO lockups on insider selling. But as more shares get registered, their stocks tend to get hurt, even though the language is cumbersome and the actual disclosure can fool you. So why do these big lockup expirations make me nervous? Why don't we take them one by one, starting with one of our favorites, Lemonade? This is the artificial-driven insurance company. We last spoke to them in November when the stock was trading at 58, and since then it surged to $160. We liked it. But there's been some major turbulence along the way. Lemonade shot up to 137 right before Christmas, and then it plummeted 14% on December 28th. Something wrong with the company? No. The final lockup on insider selling was about to expire the next day. Why? Because while Lemonade had nearly 57 million shares outstanding in early November, they only listed or only had traded 11 million shares in their IPO. They unlocked 15 million of those shares early in mid-November and then 30 million more at the end of December. In other words, the float was more than doubled a week and a half ago. Now, Wall Street expected the stock to get hurt by a flood of insider selling. Instead, we got a period of extreme volatility with Lemonade stock then exploding higher this week. And that was because of an unexpected, positive, very strong Motley Fool article that spurred a huge short squeeze. If you own the stock, you know what? You dodged a bullet. It's now trading at absurd levels. Remember, we like the company very much, but I think you should take something off the table. Uh, I don't think you should tempt fate here. Now, next up, there's Fubo TV. That's F-U-B-O, by the way, just in case you don't know it. 
That's a streaming platform that competes with Sling, YouTube TV, and Hulu TV. Basically, it's a $60 per month subscription service that helps cord cutters replace everything they liked on cable, including some NFL games. Back in April, Fubo merged with a small company that traded over the counter with the goal of eventually uplisting to a real exchange. That happened in early October when it joined the New York Stock Exchange, selling 18.3 million shares at $10 as part of the process. By the end of November, it surged to the high 20s. Then late last month, it had a surreal move, rallying 135% in a single week for giving up all those gains and more in a brutal losing streak. Now, some respected short sellers are gunning for Fubo TV. But if you want to understand this breakdown, I think you just need to know that 80 million of the company's shares came out of lockup on December 30th, nearly tripling the float. See, it wasn't the fundamentals of the company. It was the actual amount of shares that trade. Earlier this week, the stock managed to stabilize after the company pre-announced some strong fourth quarter numbers. But Fubo TV has become a battleground stock. Needham has a $60 price target on it, but short sellers at Carisdale Capital, and we've liked their work, say it's going to 10 Holy 60, 10. My view, you got to stay away from a battleground like this. I don't even know which side is right, but I do know it's not worth the stress either way. Do you really want to bet on a contentious stock less than two weeks after the lockup on insider selling expired? No. And remember, what I'm trying to do with this piece is to explain to you that there's the company and then there's the stock. And sometimes there's too much supply. Now, let's talk another one where I think the company's amazing. It's called Snowflake. This is a fabulous company, breathtaking growth rate, more than 100 percent. But the lockups on insider selling are ending. And for many, that's going to be a problem. Snowflake has a complicated three-step lockup expiration. The first tranche of 11.3 million shares hit on December 15th. Then the second tranche of nearly 40 million shares hit yesterday morning. The first lockup expiration only increased the float by 35%. Yesterday's expiration almost doubled the float. But the big one's coming in late March when 264 million shares become eligible for sale. I am the biggest believer on Snowflake on the street. I think their business model's great. But the stock's been tough in recent weeks, and the final lockup expiration at the end of March represents a huge overhang. You know what? I think you're going to get a chance to buy this, some of this lower. I want you to buy some now because I like it and it's come back. But then you're going to have to wait, I think, for the next expiration. Frank Slootman was on TV telling a great story, but there's so much stock for sale. Small, not big yet. Finally, what about the SPAC place? Now, this is where it gets totally confusing. I want you to take QuantumScape. That's the solid-state battery developer that was the hottest electric vehicle name until last month. I was getting nervous about its valuation in the 60s and 70s, but by December 22nd, this thing was at $132. Then they got a series of SEC filings that results uh, in some terrifying headlines, and the stock collapsed because of the headlines. See, when QuantumScape listed its stock via reverse merger with an alpha called Kensington Capital, they created hundreds of millions of new shares, and they had to register them with the SEC. Then QuantumScape formally filed to sell those shares on behalf of their existing shareholders. Sounds pretty bad, right? Not so fast. On paper, it looked like they were about to sell 306 million shares. But in reality, they're not planning to sell anything. No lockups expired. No warrants are being exercised. It was just formality that produced a scary headline. The time to worry about QuantumScape's lockup expiration is late May, not now. Given that the stock's pulled back to the mid-50s, I gotta tell you, I like this one at this level. So here's the bottom line. As 2021 gets rolling I need you to be aware of lockup expirations and all new amounts of stock that will be trading. A wave of insider selling can be devastating, like we saw in this one, Fubo TV. And that is, by the way, 
while it looks like F-U-B-O, it's, I like to pronounce it as F-O-O, B-E-A-U, or B-O-W, just to keep it in my head. Um, that's because I'm a moron. Uh, there's also Snowflake that was stopped in its tracks, but I still like it very much, and I think you should be a buyer here, but then more after. Lemonade, which I think you're tempting fate if you're in it, and Quantumscape's come down enough to like it. I watched the Green Bay Packers uh, win on this thing. Uh, so anyway, there I am. Mark in Illinois. Mark. Booyah, Jim. This is Mark from Illinois. My question is on JFrog, symbol F-R-O-G. Right. A recent IPO back in September got red hot. You suggested the way for a pullback in the low 60s, which is where it is now. With an IPO lockup coming up in March, are you a buyer? Of I think this is a terrific company. I think you buy some here, and then when the March expiration comes, you, you uh, buy some more. It's kind of the same way, by the way, that I feel about Snowflake. You buy some here, and then you wait for the last of the three tranche, and then you buy some more. All right? Lockup expirations, more than actual fundamentals at times, can be devastating for you. So I need to keep your eye on them, and I will keep trying to bring them to you. Much more money ahead. From vaccine distribution to telehealth, I'm talking about all things healthcare with Lisa Gill ahead of that fabulous JP Morgan annual healthcare conference, which this year is done virtually. Then I'm a believer, a hydrogen believer, that is. I'm going to tell you about why I think plug power can make it happen. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Welcome back to Mad Money. Breaking news this evening. Twitter has announced that it is banning the personal account of President Donald Trump immediately. In a statement posted this evening, the company says after close review of recent tweets from the at real Donald Trump account and the context around them, we have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. President Trump, who once said, without the tweets, I wouldn't be here, has 89 million followers. But as of this evening, the page has already been emptied. Now we'll send it back to Mad Money and Jim Cramer. Lisa Gill, managing director at J.P. Morgan and their head of U.S. healthcare technology and distribution research. To get a little preview of this conference. Ms. Gill, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much, Jim, for having me. This is my favorite interview every year, and I'm just so incredibly sad we're not sitting together in the studio. Oh, I know. You've been so informed, so helpful to our viewers. And this year, it's a very, very, well, it's always a special conference, and this year virtual, but there are so many companies right now that are at the cusp of trying to help us beat this pandemic, and every one of them is speaking at your conference. What do you think we'll hear from the likes of a Pfizer, a Moderna, maybe a J&J, a CVS, a Walgreens? (laughs) That's a lot of companies you're asking me about. But um, we are hosting a vaccine panel on Wednesday with Pfizer, Moderna, head of Operation Warp Seed, McKesson, who is distributing the the vaccine, as well as uh, CVS that will be on the forefront of administering this vaccine. So I think there will be a lot of vaccine talk. As far as J&J goes, I don't necessarily anticipate that you'll hear uh, them talk specifically about getting approval by next week. But that's a stock covered by our farm analyst, Chris Schott. He believes that it won't even really be all that material for them, but they should be able to get approval at some point in February. That's not bad. I think that anything that produces more vials, more needles in people's arms is good news. You introduced us to a company. 
that we have since just ridden all the way, Lisa, because we like your work so much, which is Teladoc. And you're not stopping. You still think there's more to go. We do. So uh, the first time I came on your show in 2019, I named it my small cap name. Last year was Smid Cap, uh, and this year it's large cap. It's a $33 billion market cap company, a phenomenal management team, really putting together all the pieces. And I think the pandemic taught us that we're not going back from virtual healthcare. And I think if you think about the platform that they're building and all the companies that they've been able to put together, I know you're going to want to ask me about the Livongo transaction, um, but that really puts them at the forefront of being able to deliver overall primary care, especially when we think about the populations with chronic diseases. When I look at that company uh, and the way it was put together, I think that it may actually be the, the transformational company of our time. Uh, I grew up in an era first where the pediatrician came to my house, and then you had to go to these uh, clinics where a lot of people, frankly, Lisa, were sick around me. Right. And I, right. I didn't want to do it anymore. I, I, I had to bring my kids to places where they got sick. Is that over? I think that is over. Um, as a matter of fact, I went to the dermatologist with my daughter yesterday for her first visit. And for the follow-up, we just scheduled it for eight weeks later, and it'll be virtual at 5 p.m. And, and I think that as you think about surgery, we, we hear from different big hospitals that we talk to that the first time you may see your surgeon is on the operating table, that you'll do a virtual uh, consult, they'll send you out for all your cognitive, whether it's lab tests, MRI, et cetera. And then when you actually meet that physician, it'll be the day of the surgery. It's more cost effective. If you think about staying in your home, especially in a time during a pandemic, that's going to be the safest place for you to be. Can't, can't agree with you more. Now, one of the stocks that you and I go back and forth with that I think we're finally going to be usually right on is CVS. New CEO doing a lot right. Walk us through it. Yeah, I, I have liked CVS for a long time, and I'm a, a big cheerleader here for, for Karen Lynch. Karen Lynch will become the CEO. She'll be the CEO of a, a large healthcare company. One of my, I do have a couple other women that run these companies, but not as large as CVS. I think that's incredibly important. I think her strategy, she came from the Aetna side. Um, and this is really, truly the final transformation. I do have to give Larry credit, though. Um, Larry did a phenomenal job of doing away with cigarettes, embarking on this strategy of buying Aetna. And, and I think the future is here um, as much as we love virtual healthcare, and remember Teladoc and Aetna slash CVS have a relationship, it is also about touching those individuals in your community. So not everything can be done virtually. If you're the vaccine, for example, being done in that environment, when you think about the elderly population and coming in and having that relationship with their pharmacist, really managing populations, I think CVS really sits at that corner of things you and I have talked about for years now, the corner of healthcare and the consumer. 10,000 stores. I know I live in New Jersey. I live down the block from one. I got my registration. I'm presuming that I will get my vaccine at CVS. Many others will, too. Yes. And they'll be yes. shopping, don't you think, on the way? You're not just yeah. going to go in and get out. Um, you, you're absolutely going to shop it, but you're going to start to think about CVS as your healthcare destination, right? So now maybe the next time you start thinking about things like a shingles shot, um, you think about your flu vaccination for next year. You think about other immunization. You think about maybe I should have my blood pressure checked on more than an annual basis. I think CVS becomes that destination. And if you just think about the vaccine, it should be good for all the drug retailers. We've written about this. We think there's probably 5 to 7% upside for somebody like a CVS. 
a little bit more for Walgreens because they're less diversified, mm-hmm. and even more so for somebody like Rite Aid because they, they are so much smaller, it's going to have a bigger impact on them. I, I have to sneak this in. You did not mention Amazon as a place to get the vaccine. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny like that. Until we get those 3D printers that can just print out the vaccine for us, I don't think we're going to be having them shipped by Amazon. Oh, well, look, I wish you the best of luck for the most exciting conference of the year. I'm afraid it is sad that we're not all out in San Francisco meeting all those great companies. You run a terrific conference. You're a great analyst, Lisa Gill, J.P. Morgan, healthcare tech and distribution analyst. Great to see you. Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah, I'm going to be back after the break. What's better than Mad Money? How about more Mad Money? Follow Mad Money on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to go one-on-one with Kramer. Reaction. What other questions do we have? Ah, I always tell people you've got to start with an index fund because I need you to be diversified. Get more with guests. How do you stay sharp? And go behind the scenes with the most interactive show on television. If you can't explain in three bullets why you're buying a certain stock. Don't buy it! Follow Mad Money today. It is time! It's time for the Lightning and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. I'm Covers Red Money, and I am starting with Paul in Georgia. Paul. Hey, Jim. Booyah from Atlanta. Oh, good to have you on the show. What's going on down there? Hey, love it down here. I've been watching this program for years, Jim. Really want to thank you for all you do for the individual investor. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely, Jim. So my question is about Magnite, ticker MGNI, and it's the largest sell-side platform for digital advertising and the CTV space. And with newly announced partnerships with the Trade Desk, Disney Plus, Discovery, and Hulu, the stock's been on a tear. But the infamous short seller, Spruce Capital, just got a very questionable hit piece on yeah, Magnite. Yeah, I saw that. Pulled back. I saw they yeah. did that. Ben Stoto told me about that. I, I thought the company was interesting. And, you know, I've been a huge fan of, of Jeff Green over at Trade Desk. I think we have to do a battleground piece. Let's put, let's put that one to, uh, test to work rather than just me tell you, hey, I like one more than the other. But thank you for those kind comments. How about Paul in California? Paul. Booyah, Jim. Paul. Beach. How you doing? All right. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. I'm, I'm calling about the stock that you introduced to me in August. CEO is on. I've had it ever since $17 and adding my positions on the dip. What's your take on GRWG, Grow Generation? How controversial was this? I had them on and I did something I've never done in 15 years. I then did a piece the next day on it again saying I think you had to buy it. 15, 60, 50, 60. And then it's exploded. It's all to, It's now a triple. When you do a triple, what do you have to do? You have to do a little schnitzel. You take a little off the table. David in Michigan, David. Yes, uh, I bought John Deere DE at $158 a share. It's now $300. Should I keep it, sell some of it? Well, or their discipline conflicts with what the stock is. You have to take some of your cost basis out. But I do think Deere is going higher. And let me throw in Mosaic because I am a kind man. I'm a good man. Mosaic goes higher. Let's go to Mike in California. Mike, Mike, Mike. Hey, Jim. Hey, Mike. This, this is Mike in California. I have a question for you about AIB 
stock, what do you think of it as a long-term investment? Um, I have no desire to own that one whatsoever, and I am so fed up with all the real estate investment trusts that I'm taking a giant Passeroonie McFaddy. Let's go to Jill in Oklahoma. Jill! Hi, Jim. Jill. Boomer, sooner, booyah. Oh, man, sooner. Go. What's up? Hurts. We love seeing Jalen Hurts playing yeah. for the Eagles, but my question is, should I be a buyer of Alibaba? on the current weakness in the stock? Yes. You know, I had the same discussion with, with uh, really, with Jeff Marks and, and with Zeb Fema, just saying people who work with me at Action Alerts, saying I think we have to buy it. We've right? been tossing around and tossing around. My case is, yes, you should buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Imagine that. All right, look, the first time I used a cell phone, way back in the 80s, I was aghast. You know, I used to pump a lot of iron back then, which is the only reason I could even lift it at all, because this thing was the size and weight of a car battery. We used to call them bricks, and, and it, if anything, that was being generous. For years, I laughed at the notion that cell phones would ever catch on. The range was, t- was very, very short. You had to stop at a bridge to get good reception. And it seemed like the dumbest, most expensive waste of time imaginable versus shelling out a quarter to use a nice, reliable payphone. Uh, those of you under 30 may not remember this, but these payphones used to be everywhere. You used to go in and you close the door. There was a phone book. Ancient history. I gave up on that early cell phone almost immediately. I didn't want anything to do with it until it was small enough to be genuinely portable and it had some real range. A few years later, they were basically there. Cell phones have become standard. They were lightweight, clear sound, fit in your pocket, and the sheer level of demand ended up pushing the price down. That's what scale does. Next thing you know, cell phones are everywhere, and the phone booths an endangered species. Why do I bring this up? Because when I was giving up on the old car battery-sized cell phone, there were true believers, people who worked to make the technology practical. Dreamers, dreamers like Andy Marsh, who worked at Lucent, probably Bell Labs, to turn that heavy box into a genuine handheld phone. You know what Andy Marsh does now? He runs Plug Power, an outfit dedicated to making hydrogen fuel cells a legitimate energy source for vehicles. You want to get rid of uh, carbon emissions from cars and trucks? In theory, green hydrogen is the way to go. Now, Marsh has labored at Plug Power since 2008, and until last year, he didn't have much to show for it. Sure, he was able to get a small group of companies to use hydrogen-powered forklifts, but the technology seemed about as viable as those early brick cell phones. Year after year, though, the technology's gotten better and better. Now plug power's reached that moment when there's so much demand for the device, they can finally manufacture it at scale, allowing prices to come down dramatically, just like cell phones. Sure, it sputtered several times, even as plug power brought in some top-flight customers along the lines of Walmart and Amazon. But there was still one major problem. Green hydrogen was too expensive to be viable alternative to fossil fuels. Until now, because plug power's finally got scale and renewable energies more widely available. That's how Plug Power stock has been able to surge from $3 to $53 in a year. That's what scale does for you. 
drives the price down. Now, earlier this week, the company got a $1.5 billion investment from SK Group, their largest company in South Korea. They're forming a joint venture to push hydrogen power in East Asia. South Korea alone plans to have 6 million fuel cell power vehicles and 1,200 refueling stations by 2040. I think they'll do it far earlier than that. SK Group went with Pug Power because Andy Marsh has created a turnkey solution for using clean hydrogen to replace dirty fossil fuels. I know that everyone's a fan. Elon Musk, world's richest man, has been dismissive of hydrogen fuel cells. And while he's a very smart guy, his objections to fuel cells sound a lot like my, like my objections to the early cell phones, frankly. Over time, Plug Power is getting closer and closer to that handheld moment Andy Marsh to help develop 30 years ago at Lucent for the cell phone. Honestly, it's incredible to me that no fossil fuel company hasn't snapped this thing up. It would have been so easy for BP or World Dutch or even Exxon or Chevron to snap up Plug Power a year ago and then put hydrogen pumps at their gas stations. Plug Power needed money for years and years. Now, though, thanks to secondary offerings and this big investment from SK Group, they don't need the money. Plug Power is free to become a major player in the energy space alone because the technology keeps improving. And every time they scale up, it gets cheaper. For years, I was a hydrogen skeptic, and that was actually right to be. The industry never seemed to make any progress. But now that Plug Power's got scale and the price of energy to make it has come down, I am a hydrogen believer. But, and this is a big but, if you want a piece of this one at this point, I think you got to wait for it to pull back. It's going to take years for the story to play out, even if you're a bull. So I think you can afford to be patient. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.